0: to real perspective the podcast based on a youtube channel based on a podcast as always i'm your co-host mj smith I end of co-hosts uh, today uh but we are joined by two guests um to talk about the lord of the rings the rings of power or lord of the rings rings of power um the amazon show uh based on the works of J.R.R. tolkien and his middle earth world that he created with the hobbit and expanded upon and several other books uh over the course of his career um obviously serves as a prequel to um the lord of the rings and the hobbit um so it takes place in middle earth's second age and is it's it's essentially the story about how the rings became the rings like how they got forged and the reasoning behind them uh you know obviously taking creative license but also adapted from a lot of the appendices and other sort of supplementary i guess you could say works um within that world um so you see like a young galadriel and young alrond and they're one of the main focuses of this of this season um but we'll get into the the nuts and bolts of the plot here in a second we are joined by two guests uh first we are joined by alex hartley
1: alex welcome yeah thanks for having me on
0: yeah. Um and Mary Jane, I don't know your last name.
2: <laughs> uh it's Suriano.
0: Suriano. Okay. Uh welcome welcome guys for thanks for thanks for coming on. Uh, I think you guys are a lot bigger Lord of the Rings nerds than I am, which is uh I think good because I am not really one. Um my bona fides are I've seen the movies and I've seen the extended ver- versions of the movies and I've seen the Hobbit <laughs> movies and I have not seen the extended versions of those. And I read part of the Hobbit you know what? end of list. Oh, and I played part of one of the video games. Not seeing the extended um,
2: Hobbit versions is no crime. It's fine.
0: Yeah. I assumed <laughs> that's why I didn't. Um, but yeah. Uh, so, what 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 are your guys' sort of histories with this this property and you know it's a beloved IP uh for from decades back so where where do you guys stand with with this franchise before we even get into the uh details of the
3: show
1: yeah um you know i I first watched the movies when they were coming out when I was a kid um you know in the early 2000s and and I loved them I immediately like really tied into them and as I got a little bit older, I, I read The Hobbit. I read the, you know, the original trilogy of books. Um, can't say I've read The Silmarillion. Can't say I've read any of the other appendages. But like you, um, you know, I've, I've played some of the video games. And, you know, I really love the, the characters and, and the lore. But I can't say I'm the most knowledgeable on this series. Um, there's certainly people out there who know more than I do. Um, and I'm willing to admit that. Um, but I really do love this series. It's near and dear to my heart, especially the original movies. <laughs>
2: uh, oh, no, oh I'm gonna sound like um, a giant nerd, I guess, compared to you guys. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, my family, I'm I'm one of seven children. That's a little bit of a foreign backstory, and. Um, Our family, Lord of the Rings, was kind of like one of our, like, as the kids, Mm. it was one of our, like, uh, how you say, uh, coming of age, like, tests sort of things. So when you turn 10, you were allowed to read The Hobbit and then Lord of the Rings and then discuss it with the others. So I've read The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, The Appendices, The Unfinished Tales, The Lost Tales, The Silmarillion, Um, and then... (laughs) When I was a bit older, we watched the movies, which they're great for what they are. I have to keep reminding myself that. Um, but so we watched them, and I watched Christopher Lee, uh, who played Saruman, say that he read them right. every year. And I, as like a thirteen-year-old, kind of took that as a challenge. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna beat him. I'm gonna read them twice a year. so from like 13 14 until i was i don't know maybe 22 23 i read the full series plus the hobbit twice a year wow (laughs) so i i am slightly familiar with the source material um and
0: have you read any of the supplementary stuff more than once um
2: well yeah i mean like it's very complicated i've read the silmarillion a couple of times um it's i really love the first part which is like the creation narrative um Mm. but the unfinished tales and things like that we had those when i was a kid i've read them a few times but the newer stuff that they're coming out with like The Lay of Baron and Luthien, and The Fall of Gondolin. I haven't read those yet, um, but I have read, like, all the other stuff that they used to put those together. I do also know that this show was not using any of the Silmarillion. Um... Okay. It only they only have the rights to the appendices which are at the end of the return of the king and anything that has already been adapted so the hobbit and then the three core books. So that's why some of the things in the show are seem a little bit weird if you're familiar with any of the like deep lore or just in general and I think that they were kind of limited by the fact that they could only use this the like the little bits and pieces that he left of the deep lore in the back of the return of the king
0: got it okay um yeah so that brings us to the show which is the sort of prequel to the hobbit um and a lot of other stuff but the hobbit as you know within the the filmed adaptations of tolkien's work it's it's the hobbit is, is next the next one the earliest right so this takes place in uh the second age and uh the elves get yeeted out of valinor and they have to travel to middle earth um and there's like a big war that we don't really see war kind of settles down but in the midst of this this new there's a new character a new challenger approaches and that is sauron and people don't really know what what a Sauron is or who a (laughs) Sauron is. So um, they keep hearing, like, tales of this, you know, mighty warrior who's super powerful and, you know, wizard magic guy. And he starts leaving his symbol on people he kills or on, you know, in certain locations, like a sort of Middle-earth Banksy. (laughs) No one knows who he is, though. (laughs) Um, So... That's sort of the main thrust of the entire season, which is figuring out who Sauron is. Like, what, where is he hiding? Is he shape-shifting? Is he, like... They kind of have bits and pieces of who he might be. Like, they have names, but they're not... Like, it's a bunch of different, like, disparate pieces of information. So that's, like, the main mystery for a lot of the characters is just kind of figuring out who this guy is and stuff like that. And then the, the sort of subplots are... Um, a group of forest-dwelling hobbits, um, the Harfoots, uh, who are dealing with a <clears throat> E.T., essentially. So, like, at the end of the first episode, <laughs> uh, just a, a dude falls from the sky. And, um, you know, hobbits not prone to <clears throat> really making people's business their own or any sort of adventuring uh, instincts, except for... The handful we've, you know, followed and read about. They are the exceptions to the rule. And here we have an exception to the rule in, is it Nori? Is that her name?
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So Nori finds the stranger and tries to protect him. And there's, there's, that's her main thrust throughout is, is sort of her growing friendship and relationship with him and how it sort of affects her and her family status within their sort of insulated society, right? Bringing, bringing essentially an outsider into this uh whose identity is also technically still a mystery um and uh so that's that's the hobbit subplot and then there's another subplot with like a human woman and an elf archer um basically trying to protect their uh their village the human woman's village from uh an orc invasion or an orc attack which is becoming increasingly unheard of um so orcs haven't really been a thing for a while and now they're kind of starting to come back and so it's sort of like uh, what's this about like why why is this a, a thing and some of this some of the stuff crosses over and then the there's stuff crosses over
2: Elrond over and the dwarves
0: oh right right Elrond and the dwarves and the discovery of Mithril Um, which will extend the lives of elves because they are not really supposed to be living in Middle-earth. Okay. Which I was unclear about, but we'll talk about that later. Um, So just big, like, big idea, total macro-level stuff. What did you guys think about Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power? Um, Alex, we'll start with you.
1: Um, I think I generally liked it. Um, You know, on on a scale of 10, I think I'd sometimes be tempted to give it up to an 8. Um, But I I struggle to go that far. So I think probably more like a seven, maybe a seven and a half. Um, You know, I think generally from what I understand, a lot of people did not like this show. Um, And, you know, for very valid reasons. Um, But I definitely found myself a lot of the time, you know, becoming engrossed in, in the world that they were creating. You know, I think the effects that they were able to use and the visuals they were able to use, I thought were really stunning. Um, especially the music and the score I thought were really beautiful and really accented the show really well. And I think that really helped to draw me in. And I think, you know, if I'm watching something and it really draws me in to kind of forget about what's going on around me and I'm fully focused on the show and I feel like I'm fully focused on what's happening, I, I, you know, that, that has to be at least a seven or an eight for me. Um, you know, there's definitely things to be said about some of the writing um, and, and how they kind of got uh, where they were trying to go. It sometimes felt like things were a little too convenient. Um, and, you know, s- some of the casting is meh. You know, I think sometimes it felt like they were breaking with how they cast certain races of characters within Lord of the Rings. You know, some of the elves don't really feel like uh-huh. elves to me. Um you know, just various kind of things that would pull me out some some of the time. But generally I did like this show. Um and I, I would recommend it to others, you know, people who like Lord of the Rings or people who, you know, are just casual fans. I would I would definitely recommend watching it.
0: Cool. Mary Jane?
2: Yeah. Oh. I have so many thoughts, many conflicting. I really wanted to love this show. There's so many things about it that I really love. Like again the casting, especially for the Harfoots and um for Numenor and for the Dwarves. Oh so good. And I love mm-hmm. this world that they've created in so many places and so many little bits and pieces of it. I was like, oh my gosh. This is good. This feels very Tolkienish. I'm I'm into it. But then overall, it just kind of felt like they went so far into the world building and like getting it perfect looking in most ways that they kind of left the pacing and the writing to the wayside a little bit. And that was my originally like when I heard that they were compressing the timeline because all this stuff happens over the course of like thousands of years in the books. Right. Right. But it's never specified because all of this really comes from like supplementary materials that were never like ironed out. It was stuff that Christopher Tolkien put together later. Um, Most of it. But, like, it just felt like, oh, okay, I understand. They want to compress the timeline so that the human and the hobbit and the dwarf characters get to do more. Got it. But then now that I've watched it, I'm like, you know what? Actually, I think they shouldn't have compressed it so much. It's like they took, like, a thousand years, and they put it into one weekend, it seems like. And I feel like a lot of the problems with pacing really came from that because you don't like in Tolkien one of the great things that he does is he lets you rest in certain places so like you're not gonna have just unending unstopping action you know like the fight stops at some point and something else happens you get to know the characters a little bit you get to kind of breathe in the story but I just kept having there were so many moments that were poignant, that were beautiful, but they didn't stop. Like, there was no letting the moment breathe. It was just on to the next thing because there was so much to get done. Like, um, when they have to kill the tree. And the elf is, the elves are like, absolutely not. But they agree to do it, you know? Like, that's a beautiful moment. Very Tolkien, like this elvish reverence for growing things. But, like, as he's, like, chopping down the tree, they cut away. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> mm. You just made that such a big moment, and now it's gone. And I was, like, kind of having a little bit of whiplash. And the other thing that I really struggled with was the way that they handled the gore and the violence. Um, mm. I... I was thinking about this and why did it bother me so much and I think it's because like in Tolkien for the most part when you get violence, when you get like these terrible things happening he always connects it to the people who are lost and, this, and the people who are losing those people. So like in The Return of the King, in the books when they, you know, like fling the decapitated heads at the city in the show you know or in the in the movies and in this show it's just kind of like oh well they're dead they're gone and it's just this horrible thing but in the books he really connects it with the people who lost he says you know this way as they're walking along defending their city they might see somebody that they loved for the last time in this horrible way, and that connects so much more deeply than just, you know, like, like when they're defending the village, and just these villagers are just getting like completely slaughtered in this in this show, and like they're just getting their throats slit, and and no one's stopping to mourn them. Their mm. loss is never recognized, and. I think that's what really bothered me is, like, the elves that died. They're supposed to be Eron Deer's, like, old garrison mates. They've been with each other for a thousand years, right? But he never, like, beyond that moment where he's, like, trying to stop the blood loss, he's never acknowledging the loss. He's never, there's no outward grief.
0: Yeah, there's no, there's no mourning. And I think you're touching on something that, okay, I'll lay my chips on it. I did not like the show. I did not like the show kind of at all. <laughs> um I it, that's I guess it's it's being a little too harsh. I like the Harf.
2: Yes. They're largely so good.
0: Um they're the best part, I think, the dwarves coming in. Oh, I totally second. agree. Um that said, I think I just felt so at arm's length with this show. Like, I just felt like there was something between me and connecting Mm -hmm. with the characters and the world. And I don't know if it was just that they spent so much time world-building. So much time world-building. There's so much exposition across multiple episodes. Like, it takes five of the eight episodes before I felt like the story happened. Um, And I just... The thing is, this is from first-time showrunners. So mm-hmm. uh, JD, J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. Uh, they, I mean, they don't have a big. They're uncredited writers on Star Trek Beyond, Godzilla vs Kong, and The Jungle Cruise, and then they created this show. Wow. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, and they also they, they so Amazon's doing five seasons of this. And they are, they had to, in order to get the okay for the show to happen, they had to pitch all five seasons at once. So they know where this story is going from the beginning mm-hmm. to the end. Um and so to to me, I'm just like, well then why didn't it move faster? Like you know what, you know yeah. what your time limit is here. So it just I, I don't know. Like you said, he gives Tolkien gives people room to breathe but this show It's it,
2: it's so confusing this show cuz it's both boring mm-hmm. and and like backbreakingly paced. Like I don't understand mm-hmm. that was what I was like really trying to figure out is why does it never stop but also feel like I'm just like tramping through a marsh with the pacing cuz it's both slow fast yeah. slow fast. I don't
0: it feels. I think what what it's missing, and obviously, I'm speaking as someone largely more familiar with the films. Um, it's missing a point of view. It feels like. Yeah. Like it feels like it's set up to hit this like outline and these bullet points. Like you can see, it, you can almost see the outline they pitched um, in the in the room to 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 Amazon and Simon Tolkien. Like you can you can see where their outline is. But when it comes to the execution of that, there's no like personality. Like, you know, Mike said this on on his Real Rex episode. There's a there's a point of view when Peter Jackson is directing this movie. Like he uses weird angles, he you know, he <clears throat> he ramps up the pacing like to, to slow and fast. Like it is a monumental, monumental task to adapt something mm-hmm. like this. Like it it's gotta be next to impossible like the fact that the movies work even a little bit um let alone as well as they do is a a miracle like i still there it's not my favorite franchise but i still don't know how he pulled this off especially coming from he he being peter jackson especially coming from like weird gonzo horror movies (laughs) that he made like with effects that he baked in his oven at home in new zealand like how he was able to one convince a studio to give him the money for those three movies and then two made them work somehow um is it really is astonishing um
1: i agree i think i think it's a good point to kind of even bring in like i feel like a lot of the discourse about this show especially online in like lord of the rings subreddit and circles and stuff Mm -hmm. Are people comparing this show to the movies, right? But mm-hmm. I do think it's important to recognize exactly what you're saying, which is that the movies are like a marvel. <laughs> like yeah, the movies it's, it's are fantastic, fun. at least in my opinion. i I really, really love the movies. and so many other people do. like they' are yeah. near and dear to so many people's hearts. And can you really compare it? I... You know what I mean? Exactly. Like could you really go and compare it? I don't. I'm not sure that that's that's the right angle to to take it from. You know what I mean?
2: Completely different. Like Mm -hmm. the movies have books that are like a tightly written narrative, right? But the show is basically making up a narrative out of a bunch of pieces, and so I
1: exactly
2: like I I totally agree that it's like really hard to compare them because yeah, like I totally respect what they're doing and I think I understand why they're having trouble and I wish I don't I like I just wish that maybe they had been less focused on making it look like token and like sound like it because I I noticed like as a deep a deep cut fan I immediately knew who Sauron is first of all <laughs>
3: Right,
0: like okay. Right, so Sauron is this human that rescues Galadriel from her her jumping ship because she gets banished to Valinor. That's so weird. Uh, Okay, never mind. Like she gets she gets sent back to Valinor for serving well or whatever, and then she's like, nope, deuces, and leaves the ship. And so this human guy like rescues her uh, from a sea creature essentially. Mm -hmm. His name is Halbrand, or Halbrand, and he's just kind of a dude hanging out, and then you find out he's, like, the king of the Southlands or whatever, and then the very big reveal is, like, oh, he's not the king of the Southlands, he's been Sauron this whole time. Yeah, except... But it's so telegraphed. And it's,
2: like, and I think that they were, like, doing that Mm -hmm. on purpose. I did see some people, like, insisting to the bitter end that Gandalf's character would be Sauron, but, oh, okay, come on. He's this old yeah, man I, who gets sent to the Hobbits. Okay. Exactly.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I want to know what you
0: guys thought about that because that was one of my least favorite things in the show. So, there's this old man we talked about who falls from the stars and the whole time you're like, "Oh, that's Gandalf. That's Gandalf." And then at the in the last like two episodes these cultists that's show up so and weird. they're like, "What's up, Sauron?" and you're like, "You're supposed to be like, "Oh my god, that's Sauron." But it's so, it's been so telegraphed that Halbrand is, is yeah. Sauron and so telegraphed <laughs> that this is Gandalf that it, you know a fake out is coming and then it happens and it's just like, yeah. When he
2: turns them yep. into moths. This is something that I was bothered by the whole time is this weird, inconsistent use of magic. Like, in the books, and in every story, okay, Galadriel is, Galadriel is this, like, really powerful magic user. She's taught by uh, Queen Melian, who is, like, one of these huge figures. She's like Gandalf and Sauron and Saruman. She's a mayor, right? Okay. So, yeah. Galadriel is supposed to be this really powerful magic user. And I guess I get that in this journey she's going on, they wanted to start with her as, like, a scrappy underdog, but she's, like, older than the hills at this point.
0: Yeah, she's, like, centuries she's old, She's, like, right? one of the,
2: the... She's the oldest person in Middle-earth, besides, like, mm. Tom Bombadil, whatever. And... <laughs> and <laughs> but like they make her like just a like a sword fighter and mm-hmm.
0: that yeah she's like a skilled warrior end of list and... of things about Gladriel. she's proficient and in. then
2: they give these random cultists who are there for five seconds this incredibly powerful magic and that really kind of confused me because it just seems like Like, I have no problem making Galadriel warrior. She was. Like, one of her names was Nerwin, which means man maiden. And it was because she was the tallest of the Val- Like, she was the tallest elf in Valinor. And she was, like, an incredible warrior. Very strong. Got it. Cool. But, like, making that her only character so that you can make it so that she, like, is fooled by Sauron- that just kind of felt so, kind of silly to me. Like,
1: Can you imagine the discourse <laughs> that would have been happening online? People were already saying that Gladriel's character is a Mary Sue. Can you imagine yeah. the discourse if she also had magic? <laughs> People would have been losing, their the, 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 the manosphere would have been losing I their minds. I can only
0: imagine. Well, it just, it, the, the thing is, <laughs> so, <laughs> as, once again, coming as someone not familiar with the books largely, I remember Galadriel using magic in the movies. So she the does, whole, yeah. The whole time, I was like, "Isn't she supposed to be using magic?" The entire yes. the entire series, every time it came to a battle or something where it's just like, "Oh, Galadriel's going to magic her way out of the situation." It's just like, "Nope, more talking." And I was like, "What the fuck? Why?" And I'm
2: I'm wondering if it's because her being taught magic is something that's not in the books they have to adapt, so they had to like right. kind of like figure out how to get her her magic but like come but on she
0: is isn't she magical though um, like in the books yeah she does magic in the core she books does. They're and that's, they're, they have so i
2: think they're about to imply that the reason she has magic is because of the ring and that really bugs oh. me because yeah why can't she just be already a skilled magic user and i think that's one of the problems with her character is they're trying to make her both this, like, upstart, like, fighter, but also this incredibly ancient, pat, like, old, wise person. And it's like, you can't do both. Just let her be old. Like, all...
1: I, I agree. I definitely think, like, a lot of the time it seemed like they couldn't really decide in terms of, like, you know, one of the first scenes of the whole show is her, like, taking down this, like, big troll, right? Mm-hmm. And just doing these badass like combat moves, and clearly like exhibiting some extreme uh, prowess in combat, and 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 intelligence, and cunning, you know, uh, wisdom of, of what's going on. But then at the same time, it seems like most of the other elves don't like recognize that in her. Like they don't like acknowledge that. I don't know. I thought that was really strange. She's yeah. like at the same time this amazing, intelligent, wise old experienced warrior and, like, leader, but then, like, all the other elves are like, shut up, Galadriel. You don't know what you're yeah. talking about. Well, like, also, how can it be both ways? Like, that doesn't make yeah. sense.
0: And the show is missing a magic character uh-huh. in this season, yeah. right? Because, like, Gandalf is, like, learning his powers or relearning his powers. Whatever's going on with him is going on with him, and he has a diminished, like, power set. But, like, everyone's a fighter. Yeah. Everyone's a fighter. Exactly. So no So it makes the battle scenes and the action sequences so lifeless to me. Because there's not someone doing magic to, you know, maybe this is because I've been playing D&D more than I have <laughs> lately, or maybe than I ha- m- more than I have in the last handful of years, or maybe it's just like, beca- and I guess there's not really a lot of, like, battles with magic users in the movies, but... Gandalf is such an overarching presence in that in uh-huh. that set of films that it feels like he's always there. Saruman is such an overarching presence in that set of mm-hmm. films that it feels like they're always there, at the very least, pulling stuff behind the scenes. And this doesn't have any of that. So there's like it's like a magicless Lord of the Rings. It feels like yeah, <laughs> it, there's
2: a, so much like roguishness that happens from all of them, mm-hmm. and I. I just, I think my issue with the Galadriel characterization comes down to this like really popular trope where like in order to make a female character appear strong, she has to be like, have this like very masculine kind of strength, right? So like magic Mm -hmm. and Galadriel, her, her fighting style that we've seen before, like her like mind magic or whatever is very I feel like it's very feminine in a lot of ways and I feel yeah. like the journey they're on with her they did they were kind of uncomfortable with that as the sense I get that like they want her to seem strong. They want her to be this like incredibly like dashing strong person. But she is strong even if she just uses magic. Even if she's not right. got a sword. Like, she, like, and I feel like that kind of made it so that they were, didn't want to give her magic, was because they were trying to establish her as a warrior. But you can be a warrior with magic, like.
0: Yeah, you absolutely can be a warrior with magic. And also, like, it just, what am I trying to say? Oh, um, it reminds me of, like, that, the, the, did you guys see, I hope you didn't, did you guys see the live action Mulan that came out? No. No. (laughs) No. awful it's awful it is maybe the worst of the disney remakes um uh it's so bad but the 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 worst thing about it is that they basically tell mulan that she's special because she has the force um that's like that's like why she's such a capable warrior and able to hang with the men is because she has, like, this special... They call it her chi, which is also, like... I don't even want to get into that. Um, Yeah. That's a a different subject entirely. But they... So, they're like, oh, yeah, you have this special chi, and that makes you a a great warrior, and that's why you're going to go, like, live with the men or whatever. Whereas, like, the original Mulan, that's not in there. Like, Mm -hmm. she just is capable. And so, it just, like... It was this weird thing where it's like, well, that's not empowering at all. Like, you're telling this, like oh, most women can't do that, but you can because you have this special connection to this mystical force. And it's like, well, wait a minute, yeah. wait a minute. Like, what, why can't she just be good at stuff?
2: Uh-huh, and that's the...
1: That's really lame.
0: It sucked. It's Man, that movie's terrible.
2: That's the other thing that bothered um, me about this show, actually, was the female... A lot of the female characters, especially the... Like, Bronwyn Mm -hmm.
0: who we haven't even talked
2: about Oh, first of all I looked I checked every scene she was in every other woman is dressed normally
1: that bothered me so much dude she's in like she's in like Prada, and her son is, like, literally wearing, like, a bag. Like, (laughs) Like she's... How is this? How is this? Like, she's wearing these, like, beautifully, like, dyed clothes, and everybody else is wearing, like, garbage. Literal garbage. I get if
2: you want to put her in color. Go for it. But why does her boobs have to be out, and her arms? It's like the dead of winter. Everyone else is wearing, like, winter coats and cloaks, and she's not cold. I, okay. Oh, God. Like, w- this, every time I saw her, I was so bothered by this. I was like, for the love of all that is holy, can someone please just get her a shirt? Like, let her be warm. <laughs> you And then the wizard, the weird girl boss sorceress ladies at the end. Mm-hmm. Like, I was laughing so hard because it's like they show up and they're doing magic and it's like they make them like, These, like, sexy... (laughs) And I was like, why are you... Are they, like... I just, like, the way that they did the magic and the, like, women just was really weird to me. Like, you cut off all their hair, but you put them in this really form-fitting...
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like, we want them to be androgynous, but not too androgynous. (laughs) Like, is is... They're... Oh, yeah. A lot the Sauron
1: of Sauron them... cultists breasted boobily into the scene. <laughs> Literally.
2: Yeah, yeah. They're sexy yeah. and they're evil. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: I I had a big problem with a lot of the costuming, which I usually don't pay attention mm-hmm. to. Um I think I did start paying attention to it more because of your tweets. Yes, maybe, thank you. <laughs> um and I was just like Oh, none of this makes sense. Yes. Um I, I so but sometimes they were really cool. Like I really liked um oh gosh, the elf guy, Archer Dude. Oh Arondir. Arondir, yeah. Arandir, I loved his like tree face armor. So I good. thought that was so dope. Yeah. But then like Elrond was just kind of like in a toga the whole time. <laughs> like he's Yes. And, and then like the the wigs were Atrocious so bad thank the board you for everyone. <laughs> that i noticed before i saw your tweets but i i was like why are these wigs so bad and like it's it, it's it, it illustrates this bigger problem i have with the show which is that they spent 500 million dollars to make 8 episodes of television yeah. and it like sometimes it looks like you see every one of those bezo's bucks on screen and then other times it looks like garbage.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. I loved Numenor. That was a very mm-hmm. cohesive mm-hmm. civilization feel, right? You look at that scene and you know things about that that civilization.
0: You look Yeah, Numenor was great. Their costuming, really great. their
2: wigs, their hair, everything the way that is structured, you know mm-hmm. that they're a naval people, that they are very High context, tradition oriented. Cool. The dwarves, they've got like gold on everything. They've got, mm-hmm. you know, the masks. Like they're, at least you can tell this is dwarvish and this is early dwarvish. Like this is before what we've seen. I think they got stuck with the elves and the humans that were not Numenorians. Like,
1: yeah. Yeah, the Harfoots wigs were particularly bad as well.
2: I, Gil Gallad, yeah. I feel so oh terrible because <laughs> I, like, the actor, I feel bad for him. <laughs> like. Me too. I don't.
1: He looks like he should be working at Best Buy. <laughs> yes. Not. He doesn't look like <laughs> he's an elf. He just doesn't. Like... He doesn't have the face for it. Like Yeah,
0: he looks like, he looks like, do you guys know who Michael Sheen is? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. He looks like, like, we have Michael Sheen at home.
2: Oh, no. And I feel...
0: Like a discount Michael Sheen. I feel
2: bad because I've seen, like, other pictures of him where I'm like, you know, if they had just left his real hair, not given him a wig not done anything he looks more elvish but i was talking to my baby sister who's very very into tolkien and refuses to watch the show because of it i showed her a picture of him and she goes he looks like he knows <laughs> like his preferred fighting method is fists
3: <laughs> Like, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: i think so there's this i you know i feel like we're having a hard time in the industry right now, finding people who look like they fit a time that's not this—yes, like just there are so many people in working right now who just have so, like I've heard it said like they have a face that knows what an—that's
2: exactly is. what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. It's like I think that they didn't want to typecast elves, and I totally. This is the mm. problem. You don't want to say elves can only have a certain phenotype, a certain look, right? Cause then sure, right. you don't want to get into eugenics. I to- I'm support that, one hundred percent. But I also just think that some people look like humans. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah,
1: you're right. There's like a certain facial structure, especially with the previous films and such, that they've established that certain. It's, it's just, I, th- I really think it's a facial structure thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really think that that has more to do with it than anything, in, at least in my opinion. And honestly, I think Aaron Deere looks the most yes, elvish of I anybody agree. in the show. He I looks wish... like an elf. Yeah.
3: Yeah. His
1: eyes, his face structure, the way that he, like, just enunciates with his face, mm-hmm. right? Like, he looks and acts like an elf in, in my mind, from my understanding of the movies and the books. Almost nobody else does, in my opinion. Yeah, and this is
2: something that I struggled with as I was watching it. Was, like, in the books, elves, you know what an elf is. They're almost like aliens. Like, an Mm. elf walks by and there's, like kind of this like aura as saying that maybe they should have like had a glam filter like they did in the movies because yeah
0: yeah because he
1: he I thought that was cool I like that it
0: does work it it gives them like a mysticism that's totally missing from this show because
2: I think that is their biggest issue is that these elves are just like maybe too ordinary and I think that they were trying Mm -hmm. to do that and I respect that bring elves into the real world But also you have this weird tree curse that doesn't make any sense. Whatever. And then, like, but they're two of Middle-earth. But they're, like, it's very confusing. Because, like, the way it's set up, there's the Sylvan Elves, who are very much ordinary, normal people. Like, I totally get Mm -hmm. that. If you want to have Sylvan Elves who are just, like, whatever. But then you have, like, Galadriel, who is supposed to have these mystical powers because she was born in Valinor and because of everything, and they're supposed to be, like, removed from Middle-earth, occupying two worlds at the same time. Why not let them do that? Like, let them be elves. Like, the they did such a good job of making The Hobbit proto hobbits so very very hobbity they disappear in like a second they have camouflage they're very like humans don't don't get to see them that's great the dwarves i loved seeing kazah doom and seeing Mm -hmm. like these pieces of dwarven culture we lost but like the elves it just feel like they got lost
1: yeah, I will say I feel they did a good job of continuing almost the theme from the films where when an elf dies, like time stops,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, um, even though like, so so the plot line, right, where Aaron Deer is captured by the orcs, yes. right, and then he's like put into like forced labor or whatever. Right. And... He finds his buddy there, who I think we've mm-hmm. never met before, who's also an elf. I think for a second um, on top that of And then that guy the dies in, like, the rebellion, right? Oh, yeah, you no, you're right. Mm-hmm. We did meet him once. Um, and then he dies, right, when they're trying to fight the orcs. Yeah, I think they did a good job in that moment. And also just illustrating that, like, elves aren't supposed to mm-hmm. die, right? Yes. They didn't even know what death was until they came to Middle-earth. And I did like that they continued that theme, um, especially from the original movies, because... I loved how they did that in the original movies as well.
0: Yeah, it's very Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. Which Tolkien Tolkien was Catholic, and so it's like a very like Valinor's paradise, and then it gets corrupted, and they Yeah, to, there's you know Middle Earth, but
2: I I am a little like I. That's why a little bit one of the things that I was a little bit bothered by was the curse, the like like the, the tree dying. Yeah, yeah, so unclear. But, like, I think that one of the most interesting dynamics is the gift of men, which in the Silmarillion, Mm -hmm. you're told the gift of men is death, but not just death. It's that men get to do whatever the heck they want, and then they die and go no one knows where. For elves, they are bound by a very specific fate. They don't get free will. They get eternal life, but they don't get free will. And there's this really cool dynamic between elves and men when they coexist on Middle Earth where they're both jealous of each other. And I feel like they could Mm. have done more with that, but they didn't. And they just went with this kind of weird, like, we have to get out of Middle Earth because our tree is dying.
0: Well, yeah, there's that. And then, like, every so often one of the human characters, like has a snide comment about the elves but it's not that like it's it it doesn't come it doesn't stem from like or it's not portrayed I should say it's not portrayed as like a uh a, a jealousy no. of like it, or that it goes both ways so it kind of just feels like the humans are mad at the elves for being a ruling class yeah but they yeah. kind of not <laughs> But they kind of are like it's very like the politics of it is all super unclear uh-huh. about, about like how this world is run. The 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 you know the the larger thematic stuff really doesn't work yeah, for me can because we... I don't know what any of it is. Can
2: we is. talk about the problem with the orcs? Because I am so bothered <laughs> by what they did with that because they introduce the orcs as people for the first time, right? But also, the way they set it up, they kind of insinuate that they are, like, fundamentally evil. They both say, yes, Adar is right. They are God's creatures. But also, no, they are evil and they deserve to die. Like, that part... I I just can't quite get over that plot line.
0: Yeah, I mean it tries to go for this like the best villain is the villain who sees that they're the hero of their own story type of thing, but then it just confuses itself thematically, like it confuses the whole show thematically the way they the way they do it because like what's his name, Adar? Mm-hmm he's kind of interesting but i don't know i feel like a lot of these people are pretty good performers who are given absolutely nothing on the page like uh agreed ismael cruz cordova like he's really great in this show (laughs) that character is so bland like he's just done nothing he's just a hundred percent nothing happens with that character he's not interesting but the performer is really yes. compelling to watch. And so you're just like, I like looking at this guy. One, he just has an interesting face to see on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like seeing an interesting face on camera. Um, uh, there's, I don't know if you guys watched the, the the spooky Marvel, but there's this woman in there who has just like a really interesting face. Like I was just like glued to watching her. Uh, I don't even remember what character she was or her name. Um, but I the whole time I was just like, wow, she's really like, interesting to like it's just interesting to watch their face move on camera i don't know i pay attention to that stuff because i went to film school um but this guy like he's just so interesting and the way he carries himself is very like very much within that character like he embodies the Mm -hmm. character very well and then the script doesn't have that character like you can it feels like every character choice is coming just from the performer and not the
1: script yes absolutely and i wonder like how much of that has to do with like and it seems like y'all potentially agree that like he seems the most elvish on the show Mm -hmm. right But maybe it's because he doesn't actually say that much, (laughs) right? Like he doesn't actually have as much to say as like Elrond or the others, where some of their dialogue is like, "Wouldn't Elf really say that?" I
2: think Elrond is actually Elrond and Galadriel. I thought were really great. Uh, I mean, like I think I I would agree generally for them. I think the picks were good. I love like at first I was like, "Okay, this is kind of silly." Like Elrond. But, like, I loved <laughs> that dynamic between Elrond and Durin. And mm, yes, agreed. Yes, they had really good. Chemistry. I thought that that storyline was probably the strongest of all of them. Yeah. Even though, again, it, it falls into this weird, this weird, like, moral, philosophical weird area because like if you follow the implications of that (laughs) storyline they are incredibly disturbing like for the love of, of of this whole other race you tried to save them right you didn't even have to do that but then because of a leaf a leaf because of the leaf from your tree of friendship you woke the Balrog and you just doomed your entire family and civilization to destruction like that I was like I'm so confused because it's
1: yeah I almost thought sorry go ahead I was gonna
2: say it's like almost saying it like oh yes that friendship that's good but also ultimately every act of friendship and kindness is futile because it all leads to destruction and I'm like so confused by what they're trying to say with that, I don't know.
1: <laughs> that is pretty like concerning. I, I will say almost in a, in a humorous direction. Like when they have that initial conversation, right? Durin comes to I forget what city they go to, um, where he goes and has dinner with Gilgalad and Elrond, oh, yeah. uh-huh. and, and like, Gilgalad's kind of like, yeah, he's kind of like going him on and all the whole thing. And then, you know, Gilgalad's basically like, yeah, Elrond, we set you up. Like, you have to try to get the mithril from the dwarves, right? So, and that feels really gross. And um, Durin's leaving, and Elrond is telling, trying to tell him, hey, um," he basically goes to him, and and I I think they might have missed some of it, but it's implied that basically he explained to him, yeah, my whole people are going to die unless you, like, give me this mithril, Right. And Durin's response is just like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah." And yeah. I was like, what?
0: Yeah, <laughs> like... it sets up, they have such a great dynamic and they, they have, it sets up this potentially like really interesting conflict within Durin to like, you know, have to reckon with that. And he's just like, got it. Like, he's like just, it's like, weird, yeah, he, Jake. like,
1: he, you know, he breaks down later when he realizes he's not going to be able to help him, mm-hmm. and he becomes more emotional later in the series, but when he tells him that, you'd think he'd be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Are you, like, joking? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you think he'd be pretty, like, shocked or surprised, or be like, y- that's not real, like, you're, you're, you must be mistaken, Elron. Yeah. But he's just like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, <well, and> he's <laughs> like, what are you talking and about? And the way they like, set
3: it
2: up, <laughs> I thought for sure it was a ruse.
0: Yeah, I thought Gil- I thought Gilgalad was playing Elrond, yeah, like a fiddle, because he tells him like, "Oh, we set you up. You have to go get the Mithril, And it's like just like, okay, that sounds evil. That sounds like yeah. some stuff an evil person would do. And then he like he goes and tells him that, and I was just like, "Oh, that sucks!" Like, and is interesting. Is more interesting too that Elrond is going here under false pretenses that he doesn't know about. Like, that's a really interesting conflict. To have show up in this show, and then Duran's just like, "All right, got it, buddy. Like anything, anything from my homeboy." <laughs> and then, like, you find out that it's just been the truth the entire time, and you're like, well, what the fuck? Wait, why? Yeah. Why is that real?" Because one, it barely makes sense, and two, it's just more interesting if there's like a moral like quandary there rather than just like, "Oh yeah, everything, everything is yeah." True. Like, the the show has such little conflict. It feels like like the conflicts are so small scale, so... episode to episode. They're
1: resolved way too quickly and that, easily. Too that,
0: yeah. They're they're so conveniently solved. Like everyone's just like, I have problem, and then someone's just like, problem solved, and then it, it moves on.
2: Yeah, I <laughs> I think that is so true because I think that what I was looking for is the creative solutions the wild Uh weird stuff that tolkien does like how like gandalf is setting pine cones on fire because he doesn't have Mm -hmm. this giant crazy magic you know he can make fireworks great he can set little things on fire he can do little things but he's not limitless you know But this Gandalf, I appreciate that, like, that they're exploring his powers more, but they didn't pick a skill set, you know? They didn't go, oh, Gandalf, oh, Loren, like, let's see what his powers would be. Because that, that's the thing. Each of the wizards is not, it's not how we think of as a magic user. It's like they belong to or were created in service of one of the gods, the Valar, Mm. right? So their powers are going to depend on who. So Sauron, I knew immediately who he was because he's always blacksmithing. Because he (laughs) was created as a servant to Aule, the guy who created dwarves. He's a blacksmith Mm. at his core. That's what he loves to do. And it's so silly, but that's the way it works in Tolkien. And that's why I loved that part, because I'm like, oh, okay, I know it. Like, I get this. This is the language that he speaks. But with Gandalf, it was a little bit more like, oh, yeah, he can do whatever. <laughs> like, he just got here. He's got unlimited powers. No, he's not. He doesn't.
1: Yeah, I did think the relationship between Elrond and Duran was, like, really endearing, and I, I really liked their friendship, and it was fun. But, yeah, I, I definitely agree with what we were saying before in the sense that, like, Elrond shows up, right, and Durin's really upset with him. I haven't spoken to you in a gajillion years or whatever, and he makes him do this whole test and everything, and then he's about to kick him out. And then he's like, all right, nah, I'll just get over it. And then every time he's like, I can't do that for you, Elrond. This time it's one step too far, and he's like, "All right, now I'll get over it." Like it's just like, "Come on, either yeah. there's a conflict or there's not." And like, the lying. I don't know. I... Yeah, they they get over things way too quickly, and you'd think like yeah. it doesn't even make sense for the character almost yes. because the dwarves are clearly supposed to be pretty hot headed, they right? Hold grudges. They're supposed to be pretty like stubborn. Yeah, and they hold grudges, and somehow he's like, I don't know, he's a dwarf, but he's not like he's clearly a dwarf because they show that so many times, but then for some reason he gets over things really quickly. Like I. But everybody else doesn't? I I, I don't know. It's kind of weird. I
2: think I could forgive that. Like, okay, these two are, like, unique amongst their species. Sure.
3: Right, right.
2: But, like, make it so that everyone else has to deal with what they're doing.
0: Yeah, you want someone to look at Duren and be like, "What the
2: hell are you doing?" Yeah, I loved that his dad kind of did. I yeah. loved that mm-hmm. conflict because that yes. is actually a very important conflict. Like how like I don't love that they made it rooted in xenophobia at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I did like that Duren the third was having to think about, "Okay, maybe this is just the elves end. Maybe this is their time. And right. I am not going to put the entire fate of my kingdom at risk because of this. Yeah. But I. Yeah, like I, he's,
0: he's trying to be pragmatic about it. And I would right?
2: have. Because he's a ruler. Exactly. <laughs> but this is the thing mm. is that I think that would have been made more sense, almost been better, if they had made it so that, like, Gilgalad has to come and beg. If this Mm. is such a threat to the elves, make it seem like a threat. Like, don't make it so, okay, well, we're just going to Valor, Valinor, whatever, you Mm -hmm. know. Like, it didn't seem like the elves really actually cared that much. You know what I mean? It
0: didn't seem like a lot of them knew.
2: Like, it just was this thing that came out of nowhere and was introduced last second, had no time to build... And then Elrond is the only one actually dealing with this and its implications. Why is it like Celebrimbor does seem a bit upset, like, you know, but, and I, I am, I'm not going to lie. I'm mad about how they handled that because the way it was supposed to happen is that Sauron wheedles his way in gradually Teaches them how to make stuff, and then uses that against them, and it's like this political intrigue kind of thing. And this happens in half an episode.
1: He just like shows up, and he's like, "What if we just like made rings like this?" And they're like, "Okay, sure, guy. We've never and met before." Like,
2: yeah. wait, hang on a second. Did I trust somebody <laughs> when I- that was the? I was so mad at how Galadriel was just like Galadriel was just like, "You're a king." And he's like, no, I'm not. I stole it from a dead guy. And she's like, no, I know you're a king. And I'm like, no one is asking for citations in this whole show. Not once. When when Elrond says, we're going to die, the dwarf doesn't say, prove it. Like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) He's just like, oh, yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, that's a big ask, man. Like, That's some pretty heavy information. She meets (laughs) one
2: guy on a raft in the middle of the ocean. She sees that little thing, and she goes, you know what? He's a king. Cause he has the seal and I'm just like, what? <laughs> Since when did we yeah. like, like this is so out of character for everyone to just trust anybody and like yet be distrusting. It's so full of contradictions. I think that's my issue is that, yeah. it, no, It. yeah, it's,
0: that, it's that. And it just, like I said, I just felt at arm's length with it. Whereas like with, you know like i said like it just doesn't feel like it has a point of view like it feels like it was written by committee yeah it feels like it was written as a shopping list and it was like we gotta do this and this and this and this and you watch it check off all those things and then the show's over and you know like i I was i was talking to to kristen my wife who's a giant lord of the rings fan um and she you know i i told her you know it's funny because a big criticism that people have of the movies which i don't agree with is that it's just people walking for three hours and i was like oh my god i would die for someone to walk because like they spent 500 million dollars on this show uh which by the way i did the math while we were talking is 62 million five hundred thousand uh oh my dollars god. per episode where does oh it go exactly because they're so stuck in so many of these characters are stuck in one place For so much of the runtime and it's like well, okay hang on a minute like this show is about like or this the series is about like people traveling and having these epic adventures in different locations and it i got i think this is why i got so bored with the show is because we spent so many so much time in one location with every single one of these characters whereas in Lord of the Rings, and I understand that the show is not about, like, a journey to accomplish a
2: thing. It should have been.
0: Right. And it should have been. But it should have been... It, honestly, the main thrust of the show should have been Galadriel traveling around trying to figure out who Sauron is. Like, just solving mysteries. Like, almost kind of the way they do Mandalorian, where it's just like, he's bopping around the galaxy doing stuff. Yep. Right? So yeah. like, she's she's trying to... like, And there's an overarching theme of him, like, protecting Grogu or whatever. But, like, she should be, like around middle earth like trying to find out who sauron is and then like meeting all these people along the way and helping them with their various conflicts and then moving on to the next and thing then they, and you can still push this that who is sauron narrative
2: forward along yes with each and they could have fixed the timeline with that because mm-hmm. you can meet a human in one episode and never talk to them again that's fine like
3: Mm-hmm.
2: give it one episode every hundred years or whatever it would have been made sense okay you meet this guy Anatar at the beginning and he's with Celebrimbor you say hello have you seen Sauron no okay bye and then you circle back around okay. and he's still there in another like thousand years and Celebrimbor is like actually this guy's real sketch we don't trust him and you've been hearing things and you're like sounds good like yeah yeah. It could have fixed so much if you just picked a POV character. I totally agree. And it didn't even have to be Galadriel. It could have been literally anyone. They could have made up an elf from whole cloth. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I mean, it could have been, uh, oh gosh, the archer guy. Oh, Arendir. Er- 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 yeah, it could have been him.
0: Like, yep. he's, he's basically Elf Mando. Yeah. Right? Like, he's very similar to the character. Just do what works, right? Like, it just. I don't know. I just felt like I was just like, okay, you spent $500 million. I'm going to keep harping on that. But yeah, it's so much Um, because you spent half a billion dollars on one season of television and then like didn't vary the locations. Like there's no snow in this like i remember <laughs> how like snowy everything was for large parts of yeah. the movies like it was interesting to look at but here it's just like for it's because it takes place Numenor in looks a weekend <laughs> looks awesome. that's why but they spend so much time there because what <laughs> oh because it takes place in a weekend yeah, yeah.
2: whereas there's like a yeah. time scale in the movies mm-hmm. it's taking place over the course of like a year or two yeah and that because they yeah. have to walk like it makes sense when galadriel showed up at the forge with the guy still alive i was like how'd they get there so fast Mm -hmm. and like i
1: yeah i definitely felt that way with like when i mean just the whole storyline of numenor like i i really liked numenor too but it followed kind of that same theme we've been talking about where like she's like okay will you help me no will you help me no will you help me no Will you help me now? Uh, yeah, I saw these <laughs> leaves fall off this tree. So I'll actually send a whole battalion to help you And
3: even yeah. me. Like, I don't Why know. Why would she it didn't really, go? Like,
1: they... Wh- I agree. Why did she go with them?
2: <laughs> I have no idea.
1: Like, don't you have to take care of Numenor? Yeah. Your dad is very sick. That doesn't, you, you have a Lendiel. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. You can just send him. And I think, you know, they tried to build it as like a, a, you know, it's like a solidarity thing. She's like, no, I really believe you now. And I'm even going to come with no. you. This is how important this that is to me. Sense. But she wasn't really, like, helpful. Like, you didn't really need to be there. And um, um, But then they get there so quickly.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like right? a day's trip. It almost trip. felt
1: like, like late, late Game of Thrones where it's like, well, you know, I, I know earlier in the series it took us, like, two seasons to move, like, you know, two mm-hmm. miles. But now we can just get places by teleporting.
3: Yeah,
0: which, and
1: like, so yeah, the Tolkien stuff is all about the
0: journey, right? Yes, like it's, all the <laughs> stuff exactly. is exactly like the 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 walking is the point. Yes,
1: Ye- that's a really, really, honestly, really solid way to put it. Um, pretty <laughs> succinctly, like yeah. that's probably how they could have made this show. I better. think that
2: that is really what bothers me, is that they're like definitely like they're just jumping between plot points and also mm-hmm. so quickly between POVs. Mm-hmm. I'm like I got a bit confused at a couple points cuz I accidentally skipped half an episode and didn't realize it. Uh because I was just like I had accidentally skipped from one uh, I don't know R and dear Bronwyn part to another and like mm-hmm. missed all of the stuff in between and I was so confused. Each episode is over an hour how mm-hmm. do they manage to do both so little and so much i think plot-wise they do a lot character-wise they do so little and i think that's what disappointed mm-hmm. me is that yeah well, there's like
1: I, the only sorry i was going to say
2: how did they grow how did they change like i guess galadriel did sort of mm-hmm.
1: i will say like one thing that i did notice when i was kind of like putting my thoughts together for this was that there was a theme of kind of breaking with tradition, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think that that's kind of a theme in the original books and, and films as well, right? You know, Frodo is following in, in Bilbo's footsteps right. and being a hobbit that causes trouble, right? That goes into the outside world and goes on an adventure. And I feel like there are some characters here who are doing the same, right? Gladriel is going against all the conventionalism. Elrond is as well. Um, You know, by being friends with the dwarves, Uh, Erendir is by having a romance with a human, Mm -hmm. and then Nori is as well, right, by kind of doing a similar thing to Frodo. So I did think that that was a kind of a cool theme. Um, And to me, that almost felt like, you know, I know I've I've been on this podcast before to, to discuss Star Wars and how it's all about the Skywalkers, right? And how they, they have those same themes that keep going through. I feel like I actually kind of appreciated that here, that they're kind of trying to make that a theme yeah. and continue that in this mm-hmm. TV show of, like, you have to break with tradition sometimes to do what's right or to try to, you know, uh, save the world, you know?
0: Yeah, and it's, I mean, mm-hmm. all that is very, like, by the book, which is not a problem, by the way. Um, oh, I, I and Durin,
1: think Durin too. Durin with yeah, the dwarves, Durin, right? He yeah. breaks with tradition. He mm-hmm. doesn't want to do what the other dwarves want to do. Yeah,
0: and all that is very by the book heroes, like, heroes 101 type of stuff, which, by the way, like I said, fake is a good thing. Oftentimes, I feel like Occam's Razor is, oh, yeah, I'll make this point. I feel like Occam's Razor is the best way to approach making something, which is just like the, Easiest solution is the best solution. I use Breaking Bad all the time as that. Like the, there is nary a surprise in the series finale of Breaking Bad. It is one of the best things I've ever seen on television. Um, however, this is so predictable and so telegraphed in its predictability that it, you're just you're you're waiting at the reveal mm-hmm. for the thing to be revealed. Yeah, no not,
1: doubt, no doubt. That's not a
0: way to do it. Like I hate, you know, and and um. Like, take Knives Out, for example, which is a movie that is, one, very good, but uh, I've been talking about this movie a lot on the po- podcast lately. <laughs> it's not been on purpose. But Knives Out is this mystery movie, right? And it's this who whodunit, and you're supposed to try to figure it out along with the character. As soon as the character who did it shows up, I was like, that guy did it. And it was, but you know what? I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because there were enough, like, twisty, turny, like, watching the characters go, gears turn to try to figure it out. Um that it didn't kind of matter that I was right that the most obvious person Mm -hmm. to do it did it. I mean, Columbo, too, right? Like, Columbo, every episode of Columbo starts with you witnessing the murder. You know who did it from the beginning. And then the rest of the episode is just watching Columbo break these people down to get confessions out of them. That's the whole show. Yes, yes. But, like, it works more than it doesn't. And so there's a way to do it that really works, but we never see, the thing is we never spend enough time with like Halbrand by himself Uh doing like Sauron-y stuff to where like when the reveal happens and it's like a big reveal to the rest of the characters, you're like, oh yeah, totally.
1: (laughs) That is really funny now that you mention it. It's just like you wait until the end and then he goes, ha!" ha, ha. I actually am Sauron. He's never really like done anything like cunning or super suspicious like evil well i would say the
2: opposite i would say he never did anything actually great so there's no (laughs) reason for me to believe that he's actually anything not evil right because what did he do the whole time he kept trying to stay in valinor er, or i mean sorry in numenor but he's like being slimy and evil the whole time he uses galadriel she knows this they're like Playing against each other in a way that clearly indicates that he has sinister, like, at least ways of moving around the world, right? But, like, when does he actually do anything that anybody but Galadriel, who's so focused and deluded, would think is good? Like, she forces...
1: Yeah, and almost she's the only person advocating for him, right? She's the only person who's like, hey, he's special, like, we need him, and everybody else is like he seems
2: weird and bad (laughs) like i think that was what like made me a little annoyed is like okay sauron is supposed to represent like he's almost like this lucifer character right he's so beautiful Mm -hmm. and cool that everybody is drawn in by him right He has so much to offer of magical knowledge, of smithing knowledge, that everybody except Celebrimbor is supposed to think, wow, I love this guy. He's so cool and hot. Like, but you don't (laughs) get that sense with Halbrand. He's just like, well, I guess he's a guy. Like...
0: Yeah, he's he's just a piece of toast. That's the other thing. That guy is a charisma vacuum. Like, he just... He just stands there so
2: much. <laughs> I, like what does he like he do that's I just kept getting confused. I'm like, first of all, I kept seeing people saying like they liked Hallbrand, but I think it's because there was no other really hot guys in the show. And I'm like, cause this man is not it. Like he's just kinda there. He stands around brooding and being slimy weasel. Like, I don't know. I I just think that they needed a better casting person, you know? Like, they needed somebody who maybe had a better sense of the characters. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think I generally agree with what you're saying.
0: <clears throat> I think... So, the other thing, too, is like like i said the walking is the point um mm-hmm. with a lot of this and there are some like nomadic things like people change location but there's not a compelling like visual sense to mm-hmm. any of it and like they don't change locations dynamically so like the hobbits right so the harfoots like they have to pack up and move and do this migration that they do like somewhat annually and uh where does it end they're still in the forest so we just watched them walk through the forest the whole time and the forest didn't change right like it didn't get darker the trees didn't get taller um there wasn't like whereas if you see people walking in the forest there was in the like movies, that one like,
2: little montage yes that one little with bit, the singing, that was like the best bit with the singing the best bit
0: that was great that was fantastic I wanted more of that yeah man that was really good that was maybe my favorite thing in the whole in the whole show was just like that travel montage it was that was really really good but then like you have the human village or whatever where like bronwyn is and they have to go to the tower and then they go back it's all on planes so they're just going from like one spot with planes to another spot with planes but like (laughs) there's no hills there's no like the the And they get there so fast that, like, the seasons don't change, so you don't see the the vegetation turn brown, right? Like, it just, it's all green the whole time, and, like,
2: it still looks... And then Gandalf regrows the apple orchard? Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it just, like, there's not, I don't know, I forgot. So, the other thing is, J.A. Bayona directed the first two episodes of this show and i forgot that i think i did know that at one point and i was just like this is boring to look at like i do not like looking at this show from like a blocking standpoint like all the characters are just like they're facing each other talking shot of one character talking shot of the next character talking wide shot of the two of them talking rinse and repeat for the entire length of their conversation And then it came up the credit that J.A. Bayona directed this episode. And I was like, oh, that's the guy who made Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which is terrible. (laughs) I hate that movie so
2: much. What a credit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's directed stuff that people have liked, too. But, man, I was just like, oh, I should have expected nothing less from you, sir. Uh Cause he made he made the orphanage, which is actually really good. Uh, it's a horror movie, and then he made the impossible, which is that uh, that stupid movie about the the uh, the tsunami in two thousand four. Was that in oh. Haiti? In yeah. India? In India? It was in the India. Thailand is in Thailand. It was the Indian Ocean. The Indian Ocean is is where the gotcha. tsunami happened. Gotcha. Uh, but it was in Thailand, but it's entirely about a white family trying to survive the tsunami. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then he directed a monster calls, which people really liked, uh, but I have not seen. So he might be, he might be good, but I've only seen the orphanage, which is good. And Jurassic world fallen kingdom, which is garbage. So I, and that was the one that stuck. That was obviously the more recent of the two. Um, and so when his name came up, I was like, how are you getting work stuff? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. It just felt so uninteresting. And then the there's one moment where it tries to do this like Peter Jackson-y thing where it's when um um Adar and Galadriel are talking after he gets captured. <laughs> but it still does the shot reverse shot thing of like, Adar's talking, we're gonna talk, we're gonna shoot him. Uh, Galadriel's talking, we're gonna shoot her. Now they're both kind of talking to each other. We're gonna shoot them wide, but they're they're like little flair that they did to be like this one's a special interaction. Is they just tilted the camera <laughs> like forty five degrees across all three of those shots? So it's just cutting back and forth between three of the same angle of forty five degrees tilted shot, but it's still just a basic shot reverse shot setup, and I, it was just so confusing. And like the eye lines get really stupid because it starts shooting them from like low angles and then high angles. And you're like, okay, well, but the eye line is that he's on the ground, like chained up by Galadriel. And he's looking up at her, and she's looking down at him. But then we're looking up at Galadriel, which it's like, okay, that's his eyeline. Then we're looking up at him, and it's like, is this, did a did a guinea pig shoot this? Like, why are we on the ground yes. looking up at him?
3: Like, <laughs> I don't understand. Did, like, one of
0: the barn mice grab the camera? Why, like, why, why do we have this POV of the character? And then, like, sometimes it's really close up. But it's still all this, like, 45-degree canted angle. The whole interaction, it was just really made me laugh. And the cutting, the, also the editing made no sense in that scene because it just seemed completely arbitrary when they decided to cut from one shot to the other. Like it, there was no like visual cohesion to the show that I could distinguish. Um, that said, there's a lot of stuff that does look really good. Like Casa Doom looks really great um it's it it looks lived in it's like properly aged but it's vibrant and there's life happening around it some of the green screen is dodgy but what are you gonna do oh right spend 500 million dollars and so uh
2: <laughs> it's because they don't pay their fees, <laughs> yes people. yes that's exactly exactly it
0: it's like it's like you'd... that's yeah. an
1: interesting thing too because i'm not sure if you guys read but the series looks like it's going to be moving to the United Kingdom for filming instead of New Zealand.
3: Oh, I they filmed guess. the it's first, more expensive. They, they
1: filmed the first season in New Zealand mm-hmm. and now they're moving to the United Kingdom. And it's, it oh. sounded like there were multiple reasons, you know, I don't know if y'all are familiar, but like when, when they filmed the original trilogy of movies, um, you know, there were pretty strong union protections for workers mm-hmm. in New Zealand working on those films But
2: then The Hobbit came.
1: Yes, exactly, exactly. They passed a law in New Zealand that essentially made it so that if you work on movies, unless it's specifically stated in your contract that you're an employee, then you are considered a contractor. Mm -hmm. You cannot have union protections um, in your workplace. But New Zealand, I was actually reading in preparation for this, they spend, they will subsidize up to 20% of every single dollar that is spent on international productions in what New Zealand. Wow. So Hollywood productions. And they actually offered Amazon another 5% on top of that to not leave. What? And then they still left.
0: They were going to pay for a quarter of the show?
1: Yep. They were going to pay for a quarter of, of them making the show in New Zealand and they still went to the UK. What? And I think the UK red would, would actually match that same amount. They're, yeah. they're going to subsidize 25% uh... of it as well. And part of it was, you know, Amazon in the in the in the media saying, Well, you know, we already make other shows in the UK and well, we want to take it home to where oh. Tolkien is from and hard to say exactly why, but some people also speculated because, you know, they started filming this show right when COVID broke out
2: oh, in New Zealand. The UK has no COVID regulations. And
1: New Zealand has very heavy COVID-19 safety that precautions. That must be so. it. And that was giving them, they were not very happy about that. Sure. They were not happy about having to quarantine or having to stay in special places and follow all these masking rules and things, which, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I believe are inherently a very good thing sure. to protect people and protect the, the, the crew and the cast. But... You know, of course, for for a large corporation, that's just seen as a nuisance and something that they have to spend more money on. They don't care. Yeah, (laughs) they don't care. They just want to make the show.
0: Well, and also, the Batman was plagued by, pun not intended, I guess, by issues stemming (laughs) from COVID-19, I guess, lack of protocols in filming in the UK. Um, Like, it took, it almost doubled the the length of time it should have taken to make that movie uh, Yeah, And, like...
2: It's almost like if all of your <laughs> your people catch a communicable disease, yeah. they might not be able to work as hard for <laughs> as long. I, they might need some breaks. It, well, Australia it also makes
1: kind of me of feel like too, right. I'm uh, not sure. Okay,
0: sorry. I had a, I had a separate point I was going to make, but it, no, was, you're fine. Go ahead. Uh, so, um, the first like film production that was affected by COVID was Elvis. Um, that was, remember when like Tom Hanks got COVID and everyone was like, oh my God, COVID's real. And, uh, yeah. so <laughs> he was filming Elvis, but they were filming in Australia. So I was like, why wouldn't they just move like right down the road to Australia? But then I realized like Australia had very similar, um, lockdown protocols.
2: Yeah. Cause they're an Island. They can't take chances. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. And so, um, because that's, I mean, that shut down, that, that was the first film production, like I said, affected by it. That would have been what, like February, March of 2020. Oh my God. And the movie just came out this year. So it took it, they shut down for a good long while <laughs> uh before they, they wrapped on that and then got it edited and out there. So, yeah. Well, they
1: just started filming season two of this show in the UK, actually, right at the beginning of October. Do you know where um, they're
0: filming it? Are they filming it at Pinewood Studios?
1: They talked about filming it in Scotland, I believe, um, mm-hmm. but I'm not totally certain exactly where. But it almost makes me wonder. Like, I know there are some beautiful locations to film yeah. that are probably Middle Earthy in the UK, mm-hmm. but you know, most of these movies have been filmed in New Zealand because of how beautiful it is, and it just looks like Middle Earth. <laughs> you know, yeah, like it, yeah. it's so beautiful, yeah. and filming on location is so amazing. And you know, they definitely use a decent amount of green screen in this. I would say, right? I'm not sure if y'all would agree, but it, does that mean they're going to use more because they're moving to I, the UK? Like,
2: yeah, I almost—that's a good question. But I will say, Game of Thrones filmed a ton in like Northern Ireland, mm-hmm.
3: yeah,
2: um, and the north of the U- of the like the UK, and so I feel like they might be wanting to Game of Thrones, uh... like take advantage of some of that area, sure, but. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, that could be at least just how they're playing it, but in fact, they're just, like, trying to get away with, you know, um, filming faster, longer hours, or whatever they want.
1: Yeah, there's less protections for workers and less COVID-19 precautions and such.
0: The other thing, too, is Amazon recently acquired MGM, and (laughs) MGM owns the Bond franchise, um, and you know, bonds with their UK production. Like they, they very much play nice with the UK and, and film as much as possible there. And so they film at Pinewood studios, which is like this legendary studio out there. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the bond films have been shot there. I think almost all the star Wars movies have been shot there, but I almost wonder if they have an easier time getting access to Pinewood stuff too, because of their ownership of MGM and MGM. has sure. like, a Good relationship with Pinewood. Yeah. Um, so I think that could play into it as well. Like, obviously the other stuff we're talking about is true because amazon's bad but um yeah i think uh i think that could have something to do with it too like it just might be cheaper and they have more resources at the ready for them at pinewood
1: as well do you guys think uh do you guys think in season two do you think they'll add a a tom bombadil appearance
3: oh i I don't know it'd be
1: so sick if nori and gandalf went and did shrooms with bombadil (laughs) I feel like just I, like Frodo I'm did. I
2: feel like he's. I'm upset up. because they, they teased the Ents. Mm. They like showed when the like, yeah. comment came down. They like were like, oh look, there's some baby Ents that you've never met before. And then they're like, no, you don't get anything cool. You don't get anything good. You just get like these boring gray people in future Mordor.
1: Cause that's like the whole running thing, right? Is that Bomb Bill has never appeared in any of the the film adaptations, not even that like uh that animated one, right? Like he hasn't appeared in anything outside of the books. Yeah.
2: Oh, I didn't know he wasn't in the animated one. I,
1: well, I, I could be totally wrong fit. about that, I but think, I I haven't I, seen it. I thought I haven't seen it either, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's like the running thing is that he's not in anything outside of the books. Yeah. And so I wonder that that I'd I'd be pretty hype if they added him. Hopefully they did him I justice. Wish. But... like
2: they could really they could really do so much cool stuff with like Gandalf. That's where he meets him. This yeah, Rando guy. <laughs> like how long have you been here? Ugh, oh, whatever, forever. Yeah, he don't is. worry
1: about it. <laughs> like what's, the, like... what's the meme where where they're in a the fellowship is in uh, Rivendell and they're having the, the council of the ring. And they're like, why don't we just like give it to Tom Bobadil? He's like, uh, we can't, he would, he doesn't even know what it is. He would just like throw it away. Like
2: he would forget. He would just like it throw it in the trash
1: it. or something like, Somebody who, I was reading something about he somebody saying him. they just need to like so, like sew it into his back. You know what I mean? Just like open up his skin, <laughs> sew it into his back, and then nobody will ever find it. Oh. He won't even know he has it. <laughs> <laughs> so a
2: lot,
0: a lot of this show feels like this Patton Oswalt bit. I'm, I'm going to read a large chunk of it. Uh, I'll try to work around the swears as much as possible. Where he talks about the Star Wars prequels, which I'm a prequels apologist. I don't really want to open up that can of worms. They're good. I like the prequels. Yeah.
2: Um I like the prequels well enough however
0: this bit is exactly how i feel about this show um or he says like uh like let's imagine i ran into george lucas in 1992 oh my god george lucas i just want to say you're amazing i love you star wars is awesome just thank you and then george lucas says like well you know you like star wars you know i'm about to start working on some prequels like, oh you're gonna do chapters one through three. Oh my god i've been waiting so long for this and george lucas says like oh you like you like darth vader I like Darth Vader, yeah. I love Darth Vader with the cape and the mask and the lightsaber. He's a badass. This is well, in the first movie, you get to see him as a little kid. Uh, what? Uh, like, you mean he's like Damien in the Omen, right? Like, he's going around killing people with his mind and stuff. And he goes, no. He's just a little kid. And he gets taken away from his mom. And he's very sad. Just he's like, an
1: innocent child slave, actually. he's yeah,
0: like, well. I kind of like the helmet and the cape and the sword. And he says, well, don't worry about that because you know who's in the second movie? Boba Fett. Holy shit, Boba Fett? That's even better than Darth (laughs) Vader with the suit of armor and that helmet and the cool ship. He's a badass bounty hunter. Yeah, and in the second movie, you get to see him as a little kid. <laughs> um, he says, wait, so you mean he's got the helmet on and he's shooting people and stuff, right? And he says, no, he's just a little kid and his dad dies and he's very sad.
2: You know, George was just working through some sure. stuff. Sure. <laughs> yeah.
0: And so it's just like, it, that's how this show felt to me where it's like, you like Lord of the Rings? Yeah, I like Lord of the Rings. Like, I, you know, fantasy's not really my bag, but those movies are like really good, you know? uh etc oh okay well you want to see what happened before oh like before the hobbit even yeah that's great uh you know galadriel yeah well she uses a sword what what like why (laughs) you know elrond
1: gandalf he Uh, can't even talk
0: yeah you know gandalf (laughs) he
2: doesn't know english yeah (laughs) Yeah. you
0: know elrond he looks like neil patrick harris now um
2: (laughs) Oh, poor little Elrond. He, <laughs> he looks like such a sweet... Su- okay, this is one thing I need to say now. Knowing where this is going, I'm disturbed. Because Elrond marries Galadriel's daughter. Gross. But so far, Galadriel's daughter doesn't exist yet. And I know elves are weird or whatever, but like, is no one else bothered by this? Like... <laughs> She's just gonna like be born and it's gonna be like a twilight situation sure. and I'm not comfortable I met like
1: you and you were a baby <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, uh, like he's like imprinting on yeah. her when she comes out like oh that's my well, you uh, too like <laughs> I'm friends with your mom <laughs> Like i uh, okay why did they have to do that She can be a badass fighter lady and yet have a husband and a child. Yeah, like
0: I well, right? I think I I am hoping that we avoid any of that She's because they don't have the 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 source material that comes from. Maybe. No, they oh, do okay.
2: because that's Arwen's mom.
0: Oh. Oh.
2: <laughs> She's very important so
0: (laughs) yeah yeah she's got to be kicking around somewhere not yet but she's
2: also i'm wondering if maybe they're gonna like compress like fiddle with her backstory too because Elrond's elron's wife Calibrian, she was captured by orcs and hid hidden in the mountain and tortured for years And it was so bad that when they finally found her, she had to go to Valinor. Because she was so, it was so awful. Oh, (laughs) God. So that's terrible. I don't want them to use that. Because that's, like, the worst way to go out. But, like, maybe she's been captured and she's being hidden somewhere and they'll find her. But, like, also, like, I really don't want them to do that. Because also the Muriel, like, the the Queen of Numenor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She, her end, my gosh, is the saddest of, like, anyone. Because she literally is forced to marry her cousin, Farazhan, that guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, what? And then, (laughs) yeah, in the books, she's forced to marry him so that he can become king. And then he he basically keeps her a prisoner. And then when Sauron (laughs) convinces him... To go against Valar, the Valar, and, like, sail to Valinor. She is left on the island, and she drowns trying to reach the, like, sacred spot. Holy crap! It's so dark! And I'm like, no, I don't want to see that! Whoa! Yeah, that's... (laughs) But I'm sure they're... I mean, like, I know they're headed there. But I'm hoping that they get rid of the kind of, like, gendered violence. Yeah. That that has, and the same with elron's wife. Like I feel like, that's just kind of unnecessary. Yeah. Like she can just go to Valinor.
0: So I have. We'll bring it in for a landing here, mainly because I have to be at D and D in an hour, which, you know, <laughs> fitting. um uh. But uh I have two things that we haven't talked about yet. That well, we kind of mentioned, and I'll start. Do you guys want to start with the good thing or the weird thing?
1: The good thing. Weird. Okay. Oh, uh
0: so the score is really good i really Agreed. liked all the music um the main theme by howard yes. shore is really good and then bear mccreary that dude has been putting in work lately he so bear mccreary i first learned about him during um uh he did the music for uh, to me he came on the map with um the zombie tv show the walking Walking dead Dead. um (laughs) and the music to that is really good that main theme the main theme for walking dead is really good um and then he did uh he also did godzilla king of the monsters the score for that which is amazing i listened to that I listened to that score to work out to a lot, which like he, I usually don't listen to film scores to work out, but uh. that, that's really good. And I guess he did the the music for God of War Ragnarok too. Um,
1: I and, saw that when I was looking at his stuff, and I, I haven't played that game. I'm I'm not really into God of War, true. but I thought that was interesting that that just came out, and mm-hmm. he also did that.
0: Yeah, and he did. Um, did he do? Oh, he did the first God of War too, and uh, you know he did ten Cloverfield Lane. Did he do, he did all the music that's in Galaxy's Edge uh, at the Disney
1: parks. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. So he's.
1: I agree. I think the score added a lot. Mm -hmm.
0: And that, that made Howard Schmerz really good
3: too.
1: Yep. Absolutely agree. I felt like that, that's part of what drew drew me in and made me like this show more was the visuals and the score was like, okay, this feels like Tolkien. This feels like Middle Earth, you know? Yes. And then Um, all the things we've talked about are kind of what what, drew me out a little bit. I think
2: that the score, I noticed it most in, like, Numenor. Mm -hmm. And when I loved that, it felt like he was really trying to help them out. Because there were some times where I was like, what's going on here? Am I supposed to agree with that? And then I hear this, like, like, dark, and I'm like, okay, you know what? He's evil. You're right. <laughs> like, but then also, you know, like the motifs were very strong, and I I felt that he did a really good job of paying homage to Howard Shore's style. Agreed. And without stealing it.
1: Definitely, definitely, it definitely felt like, and I think uh, you know, in in reading some stuff for the podcast, I saw that he was like, "This is what I want to do. I want to honor his contribution to the to the previous films." and and make this score in in his honor you know like i so i totally agree and i could definitely feel that before i even read that you know
0: yeah um uh he does that really well because um akira uh, ifakube who did the original godzilla score um incredible score That godzilla theme is so good but if you listen to the Godzilla theme, the main like Godzilla theme, and then go listen to the theme for Walking Dead, it's the same song. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's totally the same song. But then he gets to do it in a Godzilla movie, like, and it's really great. And the the spin he puts on it is really really good. And he he composed this like um, Surge Tankian from uh, System of a Down. He does this cover of the Electric Light Orchestra song. Godzilla uh, Mm -hmm. for Godzilla King of the Monsters, but Bear McCreary rearranged it and made it like an orchestral score and put like Japanese chanting behind it. And it sounds incredible. Um, It's really, really dope. And so you can tell that like, if he works on a project like that where he has to um, like build on something that came before, he's going to do it like very respectfully. It feels like,
2: yeah, I really was really loving it. And I'm sad that, like, there's no, like, you know, big distinctive moments that I can recall. Right. But I feel like he didn't make it, the like, the such the common pitfall of scoring where you, lately, where you just kind of want it to blend in with the mm-hmm. background and all the scores sound the same. I felt that he was really trying to make it distinctive and each culture getting their own. The singing scenes. Yes. Very
3: good.
2: I just felt those were the strongest Mm -hmm. of the whole series with Disa singing to the rocks. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool and so interesting.
1: And that's Tolkien, right? Like there's so much singing in Tolkien.
2: (laughs) He loves music and the way that it reflects culture. And I loved it when they brought that out. 100% I wanted to see more I wanted to see the elves singing Mm -hmm. and the humans singing like just little bits and pieces moments that show us what they're like outside of this context I think that's one of the main things like just show us little bits of what their culture is like you know and I think that that's one of the things they hope I hope they do next season
1: yeah i totally agree and um i mean yeah reading the books i mean every other page especially even in the fellowship when they're when they're leaving the shire and they're they're just journeying every other page is them stopping to sing a song i mean th- that's just what they do so i agree that wasn't really much of a part of the original films and i think they got away with that because the films are great but i'm glad that they included that in the show i think that's a really cool addition
0: yeah i think there's more room for it in the show because it's just longer um definitely that's the other thing like that's i think that's why i'm that's the big reason i'm harping on this show so much is because it's because it's as long as the theatrical cuts put together right and so it's just like okay Mm -hmm. so you have as much time as the original trilogy of films at least the theatrical cuts put together to tell this story about how three rings were made (laughs) like it feels like you could have either one cut that down or two used it much more efficiently than you than you did um but yeah, yeah
2: like what did you do with that time yeah. like i need you to account for every second <laughs> and how you misused yeah. it
0: um speaking of the that kind of thing this is the weird thing i wanted to talk about what did you guys think <laughs> about the sword key that creates Aww. more door because <laughs> i thought that was <laughs> dumb as hell i was just like what what in the video game is this like it just it was such a i don't know it felt like such a ridiculous fantasy thing in like a world that does not have a lot of ridiculous fantasy things
2: it felt that whole part felt so much like the parts that i hated about the hobbit movies yeah i'm not gonna lie like i think i said that it felt to me like when smog gets covered in gold and they're like running to like forge the gold and pour it out so that they can trap him like that was such a weird thing to add to the hobbit movies and i will never forget watching that being like what the frick is going on And I think that was the same sort of thing. It's like they threw physics out the Mm -hmm. window, pulling down that tower. I'm all for it. But then, like, if Sauron wanted to create order before he left, why would he make it so that there's this key that unleashes water that if you build a bunch of dams will open a volcano? (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's just, like, like, he, like he left them a little escape room to do while he was away.
2: <laughs> like some enrichment for their enclosure. You know, orcs, they get very bored and destructive if they don't have enrichment. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to leave them little puzzles. Yeah. Like, like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Alex,
0: what did you think about the, the <laughs> volcano key to Mordor?
1: <laughs> I thought it was funny when, uh, is it is Theo it or Theo? Theo,
0: I think. I don't know. Maybe Theo,
1: he, he has the key, right? And they, they have to retreat because the orcs have taken over their town. And then the weird old guy comes up and says, hey, son... Let's go back to the old days. Things were better in the old days. Yeah. <laughs> you know. He's like the weird conservative that's like, can't have all these elves running around telling us what to do. Yeah. <laughs>
2: uh, and then he... Okay, I will admit, I fast-forwarded through this part because I it was too much. Did he kill that kid? He did, didn't he? I think
1: it's implied that he killed the kid. I don't remember if it was ever skip- confirmed.
2: Because it's just like, it shows and then skip towards... Oh, he's gone. Yeah. The old man is still here. I, and like, that's something that really bothered me. Again, was the inconsistent moral philosophy of each character. Like, they were so back and forth at all times. I was so confused about Adar. What is his goal? What Mm -hmm. is his motivation? Like, he loves the orcs. That I got. I'm glad they stuck with that, but then like, he both, he tortured them at one point.
1: Yeah, like, expose
2: <laughs> expose your arm to the sun.
1: It's kind of weird too that he's like, yeah, I used to be an elf, but I don't know why I'm not anymore. There's no good reason for it. Like, yeah, I just didn't really. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't get that. Like, so so why don't you like the elves anymore? What, what did they do well, that-, that bothered you?
2: That I got because like I know the lord. Like he was he was taken and he was turned into an orc. But they didn't make him look very orcish.
1: Yeah, maybe they, that's why it's confusing.
2: They made him look too elvish. Like, okay, if he's an original orc, well just make him look a little uglier. Like we get the, <laughs> the picture. Like, it's fine. Um, but yeah, he was supposed to be One of the original elves that was taken and twisted into something different by Morgoth, who they don't really explain that much, but they can't.
1: I almost was thinking about this at the beginning, and I I wonder whether this would even be going in the wrong direction still of the world building. But would it make sense for like the beginning of... Like remember how and they sort of did this a little bit, but at the, in the original film trilogy, the very first thing is is this exposition about here's what the mm-hmm. ring is mm-hmm. and here's here's what Lord of the Rings is, right? Here's the the main backstory to to the whole conflict, sort of. Would it make sense if they sort of did that for this? But they were kind of like, here's what the Maiar are and here's what the Valar are and here's who Morgoth was and you know what I, I mean? They did that a lot. little bit, but should they have done a little bit more? You know I what think I
2: mean? The- problem is that they almost can't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is why I was wondering why they keep bringing them up, is because they don't have the rights to the Valor.
1: Mm, yeah. So,
2: the Valor and everything about who they are, like, they're mentioned in the book, so I think they can, like, use right. their names. But, like, the whole explanation of who they are and what they are is... In the Silmarillion and the, all of the extra uh, I, stuff. like It feels like... And that's why I'm like, why use that? It feels
0: like... So the James Bond movies had something kind of similar with some right stuff. So there's, like, the Shadow Organization Spectre, um, which it was uh-huh. the name of one of the movies. Um, but that got lost from, like, the Ian Fleming estate, who Ian Fleming is the guy who created Bond. Um, it got lost to, like, another guy because he said he... He, like, won a lawsuit that proved he created Spectre and who was the main antagonist, of uh, the, the head of Spectre, uh character named Blofeld. Um, so that guy got the rights to Spectre, went and made a not-affiliated with the Fleming Estate James Bond movie called Never Say Never Again, brought Sean Connery out of retirement to play it, to play Bond again, because Sean Connery hated the, the production, fa- the family who produced the movie so much that he, like, went and did this like not canon movie uh as oh like a gosh. middle finger to them um and the broccoli yeah, family yeah the broccoli family um <laughs> and so he cuz like he was on I think it was doing press for Never Say Never Again Johnny Carson asked him who his favorite Bond villain was and Sean Connery said Albert Broccoli <laughs>
3: um, <laughs> and uh,
0: uh anyway so sean connery goes and does this movie with blofeld with specter which like once that got introduced in thunderball um it became the thrust of like a lot of the james bond movies in the 60s and 70s and then they lost it so they didn't have it and then like they clearly with this daniel craig movies they really wanted to do this like set of five movies that was like a cohesive arc right like if you've seen the new Mm -hmm. movies they start with casino royale and they end with uh no time to die and like it's a very like beginning and end arc but in the second one of those they introduced this shadowy organization called quantum which they might as well have called them not specter and then (laughs) between uh quantum of solace and skyfall or right after skyfall they got specter back so they were like oh shoot uh, we have to call this audible here where, um, Spectre's been in charge of everything and Quantum is just like, cause Spectre's logo is like a, a an octopus or whatever. So they were like, Quantum mm-hmm. is a tentacle of the Spectre octopus. So they're like a sub company. <laughs> they're like a sub evil organization of this larger evil organization called Spectre. Yeah. And it feels like they were kind of gunning for like, we're going to try to set this up and maybe the rights will clear between now and when we're done making these movies with Daniel Craig. And I almost wonder if they're doing that with the Velar, where it's just like, is that what they're called? The Velar?
2: The Velar, yeah. yeah. I think where that
0: We're just like, we're gonna maybe we're gonna see how this goes. Like, maybe we'll get a season or two under our belt, and then maybe, like, the Tolkien estate and Simon will, like, open up some more stuff for us to play with in seasons three, four, and five. Because,
2: all they need, all they need is the first section of the Silmarillion. The island. I forget how to say it, but the uh, it's like the... Uh, nope, not going to even try it. The creation okay. account. And, like, that's where they talk about who the Valor are, how... I did find it interesting, though. And I got to wonder what exactly... If they got more rights than they disclosed, because they talk about Eru... And Eru is like the creator god in Tolkien. Oh. He is the one that makes the Valar and the and the Maiar and everything through the song. He's never met, mentioned in in any of the books that I can recall. He's only mentioned in um in the Silmarillion and then kind of maybe you can interpret like the little moments in the Lord mm. of the Rings where they talk about a force larger than anyone um, guiding the like Bilbo getting the ring and mm. all of these things so like you can kind of interpret him as being in there somewhere but like I'm wondering if they got a little bit more than they were talking about because even that montage at the beginning of the show I was shocked at how much was in there because like, I don't know if like they got clearance to just show it as like a flashback, but that is the Silmarillion in like 30 seconds or whatever, mm. just without words. Mm. So I don't know. And I, I am very curious to see what they get. And I think one of the reasons why the show has such a strange tone is because they are bending over backwards to make it palatable to the Tolkien estate instead of fans. Sure. And because I think that was one of the big problems with all of the Lord of the Rings media up until this point was that Christopher Tolkien hated it. Mm -hmm. He hated the movies, and he hated all of them. But there was nothing he could do about it. So they shut down and became very, like, isolationist, basically. And they struck a very hard bargain for the rights that they gave to Amazon. So I'm wondering if they are, they used this first season to try to like court the token estate to give them more. Yeah. Like, you saw what we did with it. We cared for it. Like, we love it. Trust us, please, kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. From my understanding, when they had to make their pitch to them, they had to pitch all five seasons. They had to pitch the entire show to them to, to get them that to give them the sense. rights.
2: Yep. Yeah. I'm just wondering if they're hoping to be able to put in more detail, more yeah. background it information, like more it. stuff like and that.
0: To
1: answer Hopefully your, they let them.
2: Yeah.
0: To answer your yeah, question, more I
2: agree, directly,
0: Alex, as a. Uh, Essentially a non-fan um of of the IP, like like I said, very base level knowledge of, of the IP. Um I'm 50-50 on it in that it would have helped me gain a lot of context because I had to clear a lot of stuff with Kristen. <laughs> like I was just like, Hey, what can you tell me about so-and-so? Hey, what can you tell me about so-and-so? Oh, they made that person up. Oh, okay. Um no. <laughs> So a lot of my conversations with her this week have been that that said i do appreciate it this is did not think i would be comparing these to these films but i appreciate a franchise thing that's like you know you know if you don't i'll you know piss off basically yeah. like it, sure like, i you know one of the things i like about the, the this is so dumb the fast and furious movies is that they're they've <laughs> they've told one story <laughs> over these nine movies and uh At no point has there been a recap because they're insane. And so, like,
3: each movie is just like,
0: you either know what's going on or you don't. And it's not our problem if you don't. We've been making these for 25 years. And so uh, I like that, that there's no, no recap whatsoever. John Wick does the same thing where it's like, look, man, you either know what's going on in the secret assassin society where everything costs exactly one large gold coin or you don't. But we're going to keep making Keanu shoot people right in the face. And so and the funny thing about that is, at the very least with these John Wick movies, each one of them is making more money than the last one. So either people are on board or people are just like, I just want to see Keanu shoot people in the face. Um, so it, I don't know. I kind of appreciate that it was just like on me to either know or not know. Like I I like it when a show does that where it's like you're either in the club or you're not. And like if you're not, why are you watching this? Like, I, I understand that. Like I I am coming to your thing, right? Like you shouldn't have to it really hold my hand through a lot of this stuff. Like maybe a little bit of setup, because like this is some this is some pretty deep lore for a lot of people. Um, even mm-hmm. I would say probably like casual fans or even people who are Definitely. bigger fans than I am. Like yeah. I don't know if Kristen's read the the Silmarillion, but she definitely, like, for our wedding, bought copies of The Two Towers and, like, the flower in her hair she made out of the pages from the book. And then she, like, she mod-podged the pages on her shoes that she wore for our (laughs) wedding. So, like, her shoes had the pages mod-podged on there. And, like, I would definitely consider her a diehard fan of of this franchise, but I don't know if she's read as much as, you know, there is to read about it or, or know as much. And that's the thing, right? Like that doesn't make her less of a fan either, uh, of, of that, that, that franchise and that IP, right? Like it's, it, it, you know, it, it's, it, what am I trying to say? It's, it's not gatekeepy in, in that way. No, Um,
1: no, definitely not.
2: And I think that if I could make one wish for the rest of the show, it would just be that they, Realize that what makes Tolkien like so distinct is not like a, an aesthetic mm. or anything like that. But it's like his philosophy mm-hmm. is very consistent. His ethics are consistent. The way he approaches the characters and their storylines aligns with that ethic and that philosophy of this like need to be kind and... Generous in the midst of disaster this like generosity of Trust and like thought and like this subversion of tropes like how Aragorn looks Grouty, but he is Much greater than they they could know, you know This whole thing is based upon these little things this whole philosophy his ethic and I think that if they hammered theirs out and actually got it to be consistent, it would fix a lot of problems. That's a really
0: in the good show. point. That's a really good point. Because the aesthetic is just generic fantasy, right? Like the exactly. aesthetic has nothing to do with it because it's just it looks they look like every other elf, they look like every other, you know, halfling. They like this could be the the, mm-hmm. the aesthetic is just like ge- any anywhere fantasy. Like we talk about like anywhere USA. It's anywhere fantasy. So that's a that's a really good point yeah. of like the, and, and I mean, like I've been talking about the whole episode. That's kind of been my problem with it. I couldn't quite put the, as, as someone not familiar with the works that these are based on as much as, you know, you are. Um, but it just like, it doesn't feel like it has any sort of a POV as far as I'm concerned.
2: Yeah, in any yeah. sense. Like everything is contradicted like five minutes mm-hmm. later. And, it, and it, it just is kind of nonsensical in that way. And I just want consistency. I just want these characters to be acting consistently based on their beliefs. Even if those beliefs maybe are not good. Like, I need you to pick a lane and stay in it. And I think that'll make your show so much better. Because you won't, you know, it won't feel so jarring moving from one thing to the next
3: yep
0: um yeah i think that's a great place to bring it in for a landing did you guys have any other thoughts on uh season one of the rings of power
1: no i think we we covered it
0: yep uh well thank you guys a lot for being on here um because i feel much more informed like i i was this is also probably because like i said i finished watching the show at 4 a.m and we started recording at like eight thirty. Um I uh felt very ill prepared for this show or for this episode because of my lack of knowledge of the source materials. Um <laughs> so thank you guys for filling in that gap for sure.
2: <laughs> Anytime.
0: <laughs> um do you guys have anything you want to plug, any projects you're working on or anything like that?
1: no no No?
0: okay uh find me on twitter at mjsmith891 for as long as twitter is a thing (laughs) um who knows this is coming out december 2nd we'll see if there is a twitter to follow me on um if not you can follow me on instagram at mjsmith891 uh so it's the same handle on both i have another podcast called uh Let's Jaws for a minute, and um, we went through Jaws, the film Jaws, minute by minute, Um, and now we're going through the films of Steven Spielberg. We're coming to the end of season one of Spielberg, so mm, when's this going out? December 2nd? Mm -hmm. The most recent episode came out on the day after Thanksgiving, and it is about Empire of the Sun, um, which is his uh, film about uh prisoners of war in japan during world war ii um the next episode of that is going to be about indiana jones and the last crusade which is kind of uh, another world war ii movie or <laughs> spielberg kind of um yep and then we're going to bring that season in for a landing with hook um and after that we're going to leave it up to listeners to decide what what season we do next if it's spielberg season two or if it's uh something else so yeah, you can follow, you can find that in a link tree that I have on my bio on um, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but you can also follow that show at Jaws for a Minute. Um, I'm going to be on the movie Robcast with my co-host from Let's Jaws for a Minute, Sarah, uh, to talk about Piranha 2, um, which is a, a James James Cameron's first film. So the, the, the Robs are doing a uh, James Cameron retrospective And they reached out to us and we were like, well, we got to do the movie about fish, right? (laughs) Um, So we're doing his movie about flying man-eating piranhas, um, which I'm going to have to watch later tonight. Um, So good luck and Godspeed to me. Uh, And then this will be out by the end of the year. I don't know if we're going to have a holiday special, like a Christmassy episode. I think we are. If not... I was also on the Beard Al podcast, which is B-E-E-R apostrophe D, which is a podcast about uh, beer and the works of Weird Al Yankovic, obviously, uh, to <laughs> talk about. If you listen to last week's episode, you know Weird Al is very near and dear to my heart, and um, I will be talking about his album Alpocalypse, which has some bangers on it. So that's the my podcast schedule, I think, for the rest of the year, so yeah. you guys know um, where to find me. Uh, yep. Here, let's show for a minute. Movie Robcast, Beard Owl Podcast. I think I'm done with other podcasts for the rest of the year, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe someone wants to reach out. If you do, I'll probably do your podcast. Um, yeah. And until next time, uh, oh gosh. Uh, hang on. I didn't come up with a joke <laughs> for this part. Oh no. <laughs>